You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. If you've got your Bibles, if you will, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 23. And as you are doing that, man, I'm glad uh, that you guys have decided to join us and and, uh, be with us. I think we're getting some feedback on me right now. Kind of sounds weird. Um, Some of you guys are the, how many of you are normally the early service crowd that are in this crowd right here? All right, so you guys got a little extra sleep today. And so welcome to the 10 o'clock. God is uh, doing some great things here at FC and we're excited to enter this new season and new uh, year as a church. And uh, I mentioned this if you were here on Christmas Eve, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Uh, But there's only one word that really describes what we put ourselves through the first three weeks of December. Um, Only one word comes to my mind, and that's the word insanity. Because when we reflect upon what we actually try to accomplish in those three weeks, it really is crazy when you think about the number of parties that you try to attend in those three weeks. I mean, it's it's 80% of all the parties you're going to attend probably all year long. Uh, not to mention all the gifts that we have to buy for people and, and uh, have to figure out what Aunt Flossie wants and what to get our grandmothers and, you know, how many gift cards. Is gift cards even really a gift? Is that legal in this family? Some families are okay with gift cards, some are not. So it can be confusing. Um, we, we, we decorate our house inside and outside. I don't know why, but since we have so much time, uh, we like to do a family photo and then we will send that to everybody we know. Um, and, and that's stressful. And, and so we, we try to bake every cookie and dessert we can possibly think of. And uh, we consume more calories in those three weeks than we're going to in the next three months combined. And so it's just um, no wonder that after a season like Christmas, um, we're a little worn out, we're a little tired, and uh, that's expected. And, and, and for those of you that are, that, you know, maybe um, we're, we're kind of questioning whether or not you're going to come to church today because you're so spent or you're so tired, then man, congratulations, because you, you're here. You're the, by the way, this is the cream of the crop right here. When you come to church the Sunday after Christmas, you love Jesus, right? I mean, you guys can just look, look at each other and be like, nod your head, because you guys just know you're the real deal. Um, and so what's funny, though, is that Christmas always flies by, doesn't it? Um, it always just kind of flies by and, and, and the deal, you know, is over and we look and around and we're like, man, that was fun. That was, that was hectic. Um, and it just flew by. Well, obviously the reason why it flew by is because it was so chaotic. It was so busy. And, and so what we, what we have to realize is that it's not just because it's the holiday season that things flew by or things went by quickly but really it was just the next season of our life. Because our culture today is more fast paced than ever before. And when you think about your typical schedule, when you think about your friends, when you think about just society in general, you, you can probably agree with me today that we are more fast paced and busy and chaotic than ever before. And so it's not that the holiday season is a busy time, The holiday season is just the next season of busyness for you. For some of you, January and February are going to be extremely busy. 
Maybe it's, you know, it's tax prep season for you or, or maybe it's basketball season for you. And so this is the season of your life where it's just really, really chaotic. And then we've got spring. And spring, as we get the, to the end of school, you've got the end of school, you've got tests, you've got exams, you've got you know, college ending, you've got all this stuff. And so then that season is, is busy. And then summer used to be a time where we would kind of slow down. But now summer is how many summer camps can we fit into our schedule? And oh yeah, we've got to go vacation. And our vacations, we, sent, we tend to you know, run the gamut of what's going on in vacation. And so, so summers fly by because we're constantly busy. And at the end of the day, we look at our life, at the end of the year, as we are right now, we, we can examine our year and, and just say, man, 2015 just flew by. And for most of us, I know for me, that's a reality. It just flew by and I look at my schedule and, and I think, man, I was so busy and things were so chaotic and, and, and I've got to step back and, and I've got to begin to evaluate really, you know, where is my spiritual life at? You know, I always, Psalm 23 is my go-to psalm every time things in my life get chaotic. I don't know what it is about this psalm in particular, but it always just kind of relaxes me and calms me down. Um, and, and so when I dive into a sermon like this, I mean, you, yeah, I know this is something that I have to preach to myself constantly because I am, I am a, a busy lifeaholic, you know. I, I'm somebody that loves to get stuff done. I love scratching things off my to-do list and, and, and I love to go, 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 go. And so today I wanted us to, to really pause and, and have a moment of reflection. Last week we had a moment of clarity. That was my main kind of thought that, that we would have a, a, a moment of clarity. 24 people uh, had a moment of clarity last week and, and were baptized, which is pretty awesome, by the way. And, and so just a great day all the way around as, as we think about uh, the lives that are being changed here at FC. And, and so today I want us to, to, to really slow down and have a, a, a moment of reflection. And as we ponder our, our chaos and our busyness, um, I think God has a different lifestyle for us because we know this to be true. A chaotic schedule is going to lead to a chaotic life. I mean, there's just no way around it. You might say, I wouldn't say that our life is chaotic, Trent. I would say that we're busy, but I wouldn't say that it's, it's necessarily chaotic. But so I wrote down a few things to kind of um, help you examine your life as, as we get uh, near to Psalm 23 here. Uh, these, if, if these next five things are true of you or maybe just one of them, then, then your life more than likely is, is, is chaotic and not just busy. So, so here's what a chaotic life looks like. Number one, a chaotic life looks like clutter. If you cannot park your car in the garage, you're living in a moment of chaos, Right? If you know somebody at work or at home who their desk looks like Office Max vomited all over it, yeah, there's papers everywhere and can't find anything, you know, that, that, that's a sign of chaos, right? Because, because clutter is evidence of a chaotic life. And so, so that's why it's helpful to kind of, after all the new stuff from Christmas comes into the house, to kind of purge, right? It's like, all right, in with the new toys and we got to get rid of some of these things. And so, so, so clutter is evidence of a chaotic life. Secondly, addiction to speed. So we have an addiction to speed. You know, our Wi-Fi is not fast enough. 4G network is not fast enough. You know, we're, we're always, you know, wanting more speed. And so if this is true of you, then potentially you're living a chaotic life. Um, let, me, let me explain. Here, here's what I mean by this. If you're the kind of person who goes to Kroger and you're, and you're about to check out, 
and you're looking at which line to go to. And in your head, you're doing all these logarithms, you know, of, of how, many, how many things are in that person's cart, you know, divided by the age of the checkout person <laughs> versus the probability that somebody in that line is gonna use like a handwritten check, which people still do that, which is gonna add five minutes to the whole deal. And then you choose the line, right? And then as you're standing in line, you're watching where you would have been in the other line. And if you beat yourself in the other line, you're like, yes. But if you lose the next 45 minutes, you're depressed. How many did I just explain you? Yes. I mean, that is me. That is so me. So our addiction to speed is evidence of a chaotic life because we're like, you're like, hurry, hurry, hurry. Say what you're going to say. Let me finish your sentence for you because you obviously, I can help you finish this sentence in your thought. And and so talk faster and, and let's get this thing going and the, the light's not fast enough and, you know, nothing seems to be fast enough for us. And so that's evidence of a chaotic life. Then there's the multitaskers. You know what multitasking is? Uh, ladies, it's when you're driving to work, eating breakfast and shaving your legs, right? You know you're a multitasker. It's, you know, it's, it's checking Twitter while you're listening to a sermon, right? And you're making reservations for lunch this afternoon on your phone. So Anytime we're watching TV, having a conversation, checking Instagram, that's multitasking. And so if, if, if that's you, then we, you know, we, we realize that that's kind of a lifestyle now. It's like, you know, it's hard to have a conversation when somebody's checking their phone, right? But that is almost more common than not in, in our culture today. Another sign of a chaotic life is just a superficial life. And a superficial life is, is one where you stay on the surface with people and you don't really dive deep in relationships because hurry is the enemy of depth. And if, you, if you're someone who is uh, living a, a chaotic lifestyle, you don't go deep with people and you live your life in a very shallow place. You actually become a shallow person, so shallow that you, you don't even think rush, you don't even think hurry and busyness is a problem. And so we just stay on the superficial level relationally with people. We don't, we don't go deep in relationships. Another sign of a chaotic life is relationship fatigue. You know, we're just running and gunning so much at work and so much in other areas of our life that we don't have the emotional energy to really give to the people in our life that matter the most. Maybe a spouse, maybe you're dating someone Maybe you're a mom or a dad, and so for your kids, that energy is just not there for them. Another piece of evidence that would point us to a chaotic life is just spiritual emptiness. This is where there's no room or, or, or time, there's no margin in our life to, to really dive into the spiritual life of what God wants to do in our heart. So there's no time for God's word. There's no time for serving. There's no time for being in a small group. There's no time for, for diving into the things of the spirit because we've got other things to do. We don't have time to do that. And as a result, our heart begins to shrink. As a result, our heart for worship is non-existent. Our heart to do ministry is, is just not there. In this chaotic life, begins to ruin our spiritual life. The Bible says in Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am gone, that, that I'm God. For us, as we think about that, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like, man, I don't even get what that means 
to be still because we're, we're hardly ever still. Still for us is just watching a marathon of Alaskan bush people on the Discovery Channel, right? That's the only time we're still. But that's not actually being still. That's, that's what we would call vegging. <laughs> vegging is not rest. Vegging is not being still. I think what the scripture calls us to do is to recognize our chaotic lifestyle and realize that, that this busyness is the enemy of what God is actually calling us to do and what God is actually calling us, uh, to, how God is actually calling us to live. And so let's turn to our Bibles in Psalm 23. Um, I love this Psalm. And by the way, you know, this is like the go-to Psalm uh, for pastors when you're on your deathbed. So just keep, kind of keep that in mind. It's like, this is that one psalm that, it, 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 that we're all more than likely gonna hear at one point in our life and remind us like this, this is the hope and the encouragement that we have. Let's not wait till the end to grasp it. Let's not wait till the end to hear it. Let's hear it today. And let's see what God wants to do in our heart. Here's what the Bible says in verse one, chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think the main point of this chapter here is that God is in fact our ultimate source of everything. Like we find everything that we need in God. He says in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I shall not be in want. In other words, I don't need anything else because in my shepherd, in my God, in my creator, in my savior, I find everything that I need. When you're in a chaotic life, you're wrapped up in doing all this stuff that, that hopefully you think is gonna bring you happiness or joy. And so as we're busy and running and gunning, we think the promotion is gonna lead to a position that's gonna lead to a paycheck and, and that's gonna make us happy. We think that running and gunning with our kids is gonna make them happy. And so ultimately, all of these things that we, we put into our schedules that create chaos are an effort and in an attempt to find something that we're missing in our heart, to find something that, that we're not really experiencing. And we think that all of this stuff is going to make us happy. In our culture, really, it's almost a badge of honor when someone says, how are you doing, to say, I'm just super busy. The reason why it's kind of a badge of honor is it's almost like we're saying, I'm so important, right? I am so busy. I'm so valuable and I'm so important that I am so super busy. And it's like, this is, this is a way that we kind of, kind of make ourselves feel better about our lifestyle. It makes us feel better about who we are. And, and really what we have to do is we gotta come back to the essence of what it means to be a child of God. And that is to realize that it is only through our God that we will find ultimate joy, peace, ultimate fulfillment, ultimate happiness, ultimate joy. And no other relationship will we find that, including in our busy schedules. And so, so at the end of the day, 
um, my, my main thought, my main idea this morning is for us to be still and reflect and then God will connect. So, so if we are still, if we will reflect, I think it's in those moments that God will connect. It's, it's in his power, it's in his timing that he does the connecting. Our role and our responsibility is to be still, to, to slow down our pace so that we can be still before our creator and reflect upon what he's doing, reflect upon his word. And as we do that, then he will connect our hearts, our souls. He will connect everything within our heart that will ultimately bring us joy and happiness. So how does he do this? How does God connect us? Let's look again at at verses two and three. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The little translation there is he leads me beside uh, uh, waters of rest. So he leads me to waters of rest. He restores my soul. So if you're taking notes, the the first way that God connects us is that we find nourishment for our soul. We find nourishment for our soul. You see, these green pastures for a sheep are the nourishing vegetation they need to be healthy. And so in the same way, his point here is that as we follow and trust God, he leads us to a place in our life where he nourishes our soul. He restores our soul. I mean, there is nothing that will restore your soul in this life. There's nothing that the world can offer you that will restore your soul. This is a supernatural act of the Spirit of God. He leads us to green pastures. You see, God created us not just with a body, but with a spirit. The spirit is the core of who we are. And our spirit, our soul needs nourishment. Just like my physical body needs nourishment to be healthy, my soul needs nourishment to be healthy, to be, to be fulfilled. And I have to exercise that in just the same way that I would exercise my physical body. If you don't, you're gonna become spiritually empty. Your soul will become uneasy. Your soul won't be refreshed. You'll be exhausted. You'll be stressed. You'll feel empty inside. God says, I have green pastures for your soul. And God's rich nourishment is always comforting and it always supernaturally recharges us. But when when I'm spiritually malnourished, I feel empty. You know, I'm, I'm running on fumes. That's when, we're, it's when we're exhausted all the time. And I think as we end the year 2015, it's a really valuable time for us to be still and reflect so that God can connect. Because when we do that, I think that he nourishes us. He refuels us. When I am spiritually nourished, I'm, I'm walking the right path here. He says he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So, if I wanna be on the path to righteousness, then that means my, I'm, I'm on a path where my soul is being replenished and, and nourished on a frequent basis, you know? And so it's, it's a habit of, of being in God's word. It's a habit of going to God's word and reflecting upon it, reflecting upon what he's doing in my life. It's slowing down enough to say, you know what? I need margin in my life. I need space in my life where the TV is not on. My cell phone is not with me. I'm actually listening to the rain, you know? That's a good indicator, by the way. 
When's the last time you've ever listened to the rain? If you can't remember when that was, chances are you're living a, a busy life. But like, can we just sit in quietness? And you're like, well, I would fall asleep, Trent. Well, bless God, that might be exactly what you need, you know, to, to be refreshed and, and, and nourished. I mean, I don't think of a, I, I can't think of a better way to take a nap than reading God's word and praying to God and just waking up and be like, oh man, that was awesome, you know? And then just going back into God's word and just, just, just being with him allowing him to nourish our soul. You see, it's really easy to, to run on fumes in this life because of our schedules. I used to have a car um, that had a, a broken gas gauge. And so you probably heard me, if you've been around, you've heard me tell a couple of stories about this car, but I never got it fixed. And, and so I, I always had to guess when it was time to get gas. And you can imagine that I, you know, lost that, that game quite often. And, and, and at that time in my life, I was like, at a really unhealthy pace in my life. And I had two really small children. Um, my wife was staying at home with the kids. And I, I remember one day in particular, you know, it, I had no idea where I was at. I wasn't really thinking about it. And I was going to work and I, my, my car died uh, and, and ran out of gas. And I'll never forget like having to pick up my phone and, and, and like call my wife early in the morning, you know, while she was taking care of two really small children to come and bring me a gas can. That was not a fun conversation uh, to have. And I'll never forget, like, how we ended that conversation. She's very sweet. She's very humble. Love her to death. Uh, but she made a comment as she gave me the gas can, and it, it, it was simply this. The way that we're living has to change. And she just walked and got in her car and went home. <laughs> and I was, I was like, you know, it's like one of those moments where you're just like, I know I've, this is not normal, right? This is not normal. And, and um, you know, the truth is some of you are, are kind, of, kind of just not even noticing the gas gauge of your spiritual life, of your physical life. Like you're, you're running on fumes, you're running on empty, and you know it. I mean, you can feel it, but you feel like there's no way to change that. You feel like the way that you're living your life is the way that everybody's living their life. And it's just how we do things in our culture today. We just run and run and run. And our kids are busy doing all these things. And, and we're busy doing this. And, and that's just normal. Well, it's, it, it doesn't have to be the norm for you. You know, we, we can slow down. We, we can honor God with our time. There's nothing that says that you cannot be successful in your business and work extremely hard. Be a, be a father, be a mother, raise your children, teach them God's word, and then have margin in your life to actually read your Bible on a frequent basis and actually have a prayer life. That's not impossible. It's like you're not so busy that you don't have time to get into God's word. We, I mean, that, we realize that, right? It's just like, oh, I haven't had time to go to small group. I haven't had time to read the Bible. Well, that's just the biggest lie that you've ever told yourself. It's just a matter of prioritizing your, your life and prioritizing what you do in your day. But as we do this, we find nourishment for our soul. Secondly, a second way that God connects us is that we find courage in our suffering. We find courage in our suffering. Look at the next couple of verses. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So he says, I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice that he's walking through it. He's not living in it. So you walk in here today, maybe 2015 was kind of a valley for you. It was a valley and it was really scary. 
A couple of things that we know about God's word is, is that we know there are going to be seasons of suffering in our life, so we're not surprised by that. But we also know that we're, we're walking through them. We're not living in them. We also know that the, the shadow is never going to harm us. We, we know that the shadow of death is not something that we have to fear. Because anytime there's a shadow, we know that there's light somewhere, Right? And so there's light at, this, at the end of this tunnel. We, we know that we don't have to fear the shadow of a dog. Uh, you know, the shadow of a dog's not going to bite you. The shadow of a sword is not going to hurt you. And just like the, the shadow of death is nothing for us to fear as believers. We know that he gives us courage through these times of suffering in our life. Some of the worst fears that you uh, have are fears of things that aren't even going to happen. You have fears of what might happen if you do this, or you have fears of something that could happen if this and this and this happen. And so you realize how much worry and anxiety you deal with that have nothing to do with the reality and they have everything to do with what may or may not happen in the future. Those are the worst kind of fears. And those are the things that, that, that I believe scripture would call us to erase and, and not allow to overwhelm our heart, not to overwhelm us in our own minds. God says, don't fear it. It's a season. It's not how the rest of your life is going to look. In verse four, he says, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, why does a rod and a staff comfort him? Because remember, he's a shepherd, and the, the staff of a shepherd was used to protect the sheep from wolves and other animals that might come. He could beat them away. He could also use that staff to keep his sheep on the right path. And so for a shepherd, that rod, that staff represented his authority. And, and so for us, that represents in, in, in our life as believers that God is in control. You know, God is protecting us. Even though it might be a difficult year, God is still sovereign. He is still in control. He is still growing us. He still loves us. He's never left us. He's never going to forsake us. And so as we follow him, his rod, his staff, it comforts, it comforts us. And as we look to his comfort, as we look to who he is, then our cup overflows. The third way that God connects with us is that we have hope for our future. We have hope for our future. Look again at verses five and six. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, my enemy is at the door, but before I go outside and fight, I'm not in too big a hurry to go out there and fight and, and, and to go to war, to go to battle. I'm not gonna be in, in too big a hurry to run to the battle before I sit down and eat with my God. So I'm going to sit down at the table and I'm going to eat with my God. In other words, I'm going to sit down and eat from his word. I'm going to get that nourishment from his word, from his spirit that's going to re replenish me, uh, encourage me as I pray, as I seek him. And, and I'm not saying that this is like a three-hour marathon in God's word. I'm saying a consistent habit in your life where you're reading through one of the books of the Bible and you're taking notes on what you're learning and you're spending some time in, in prayer that you are hearing from God and you are talking to God and and as you do that, a consistent habit will allow this to take place in your life. And so we find hope in our future. And as we are sitting down and eating with him before we rush out to battle, he does um, uh, allow our cup to overflow. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
The reality is, for many of us, our cup is not overflowing. Our cup is empty. Because we're constantly pouring ourselves out emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We're not getting filled. And so for, for us to have a cup that is overflowing, we've got to sit down and eat. We've got to sit down and eat before we run out to battle, before we run out to work, before we run out to, you know, whatever life is, has for us that day. We sit down and we eat and we allow God to fill our heart and fill our life. I don't know about you, but for me, anytime I go through a season of, of suffering or anytime I go through a difficult season, it makes me work harder. It makes me, you know, push harder. You know, if there's, if there's a relational deal or if there's a financial deal, whatever is going on, like, all right, there's, a, there's, there's trouble, then I work extra hard and my nose can go to the ground a lot faster. And so that's exactly what the enemy wants me to do. The enemy wants you to do this as well. Like, okay, there's trouble. Okay, I can fix this. I can do this on my own. And so let me just stay later and work harder and get up earlier and and run faster and do more. And if I do more, then that'll fix my issues and that will fix my problems. And then I'll be able to have hope that things are going to work out. And that's exactly the the opposite of what I believe God wants to do in our life. Because as as, as we're still... And as we reflect, I think it's then that God connects. And, and so we've got to connect with him. And, and, and that can't be fabricated. And we can't create that on our own. That is truly an act of God. And that takes us being still and reflecting upon who he is. Um, you know, having four kids, we've gone through, you know, our oldest is, is becoming a teenager now. And so um, we still deal with, you know, fits it from time to time with our younger kids. And, and when your kids are little, you know, um, fits happen on a regular basis. When they don't get what they want, um, they're really inclined to like, you know, flop around and raise their voice and, you know, be, be really, um, you know, dramatic and they'll cry and they might yell. And as they get older, they'll roll their eyes and they want to argue and you know, they want to do all that stuff. And, and so as they're flopping around, as they're flailing around and doing their deal, um, what is your response as a parent? What do you usually do? You usually will say something to the effect like, hold still and listen to me. Stop what you're doing before I kill you. No, no, don't do that. <clears throat> hold still and listen to me. All right? Think of a toddler who's rolling around doing a you know, having a little fit. You want them to hold still and listen. You want them to look at you. I'm about to teach you something. This is not appropriate. This is what immature, you know, emotionally people do. You know, you're trying to teach your, your teenager something. Hold still and listen to me. See, this is exactly what our Heavenly Father wants to do for you. It's what He wants to do in my life. He wants me to stop running around, stop flailing around, doing things on my own strength, doing things in my own power. And he wants me to stop and listen to him. And I don't know how problems get resolved without me specifically, you know, nailing all those, you know, nails into the wood and doing all this stuff. And, but it does. As I pursue him and as I, as I begin to connect with him, as he connects with me, then he begins to resolve the situations around me. This, this is what the Spirit of God does. And I can't explain it, and I don't, I don't know how to put my finger on it. I can't even know how to write about it yet. All I know is when I am faithful to his word, when I am diving into who he is, he allows these situations 
to be resolved. It doesn't take the responsibility off of my own life to do the things that are necessary for me to be responsible. But my point is that I'm not running around spinning all these plates on my finger to try to resolve these things. God, through his power, does these important things that only he can do. So maybe you're like, okay, I can kind of see my life is a little chaotic, right? I need to slow down. There's some things that I need to do. How do I do this? What do I do? Here's a few things to kind of close out today with. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to admit the unhealthiness of your pace. Of your pace. This is like the first step in any you know, resolution to, to solve anything, right? You've got to admit that there's a problem. And so you admit the unhealthiness of your pace. You begin to believe the, the way in which you are living is not honoring God. If we don't do this, what we begin to do is we begin to believe the lie that busyness is actually a good thing. We can actually believe that, that busyness is good and that it's productive and, and that having a complex life and, and complexity in our, our life is a sign of success or it's a sign of achievement. Because the more I am, am chaotic, the more complex things get, the more you know, I'm achieving or the more successful I am. But this is not reality. The pace that we're living is killing marriages. The pace in which some of you are living is, is killing your spiritual life. The pace at which you're living is, is ineffective you know, as a parent. And so we have to admit the unhealthiness of our pace. The second thing that we do is we commit to drawing closer to God. Because it's not just that I need to change my routine. It's not just that I need to back down the work schedule. That, that may, that's not necessarily the answer. The reality is we admit what's unhealthy. And then we replace that priority with a connection to God. We replace that with a commitment to draw closer to God. And so what we do is we, we begin to value what God values instead of valuing what the world values. Because the world will applaud you for your pace. You know, your buddies at work will bow down to you and high five you for the achievements that you're able to achieve and the pace at which you're able to, to run. The, the world will applaud your addictions the, the world wants this and values this in you, but, but God's set of values are different. And so as believers, we want to understand what he values. And then as, as we understand what he values, then we can, we can begin to pursue those values. So here are a few things that God values. God values relational depth. He values relational depth. You were created to be fully known. And so that means that you're going to have to invest time into relationships that's why we talk about relationships quite a bit here at FC. We know that it's through relationships that we can grow closer to Christ. We also realize that that takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't just develop in even really six months or one year. That takes, that takes time. And depending on who you are, it might take longer than usual. And so for us, we values relational depth. And that's why we encourage you to be plugged into a small group. That's why, you know, for, for some of you, like that's maybe the next step for you as you enter 2016. Like we're going to intentionally, you know, carve out a night where we can be involved in a group, where we can be known, where we can dive into God's word with a group of people. We can help each other grow. We can invest in other people and let them invest into 
us. That is a value that God values. All throughout the New Testament, you cannot get away from the relational depth that God calls us to. All of the one another's, love one another, bear with one another, all these one another's have to do with being in relationship with other believers. And so, so it's, 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 it's one of those things where if you say, Trent, I'm just too busy to be in a small group, then you're too busy. <laughs> you're living a chaotic life. We always want our kids to like, you know, make mature spiritual decisions. But we never, you know, very rarely will we commit and give the margin in their schedule to allow them to be in relationships with other godly leaders. You know, maybe you've bought into the fact that it's important for you, but you've not bought into the fact of that, that your student could, could, could benefit from relational depth in their life. You know, it's not, a, it's usually when a, a, you know, an issue or a problem arises in a teenager's life that people all of a sudden want their kids involved in student ministry or they want their kids involved in a small group or they want adult leaders to invest into them. But once again, relational depth takes time. So it's not like a drug that you can, you know, pop a pill when, you know, a problem occurs with your teenager. You make a commitment to relational depth for yourself and for them. And as that relational depth grows in their life, then when those seasons come, now you have people around you to help you walk through those things. But it takes time. Hurry is the enemy of, of depth. And so for us, we've got to rally around what God values here. The second thing that God values here is rest. Rest. God created us to be beings of rest. You, had, you, you got a little bit extra sleep last night because of the, the, we didn't have the early service for some of you. So God values rest. And so rest is not just vegging, watching TV. Uh, rest is when we are resting in his presence, resting in his word. There's no devices. There's, there's no TV. And, and we're just, you know, we're, we're just sitting. We're like, well, what are we doing if we're just sitting, Trent? We're resting. Hmm. So foreign to us. It's like, what do you mean? It's just like we just stare and look at stuff? <laughs> kind of, yeah, I guess, you know? It's like we listen to nature. Maybe you go to the mountains. You know, maybe it's in your bedroom. Maybe it's on the porch, 70 degrees today, hello? You know, enjoy God's creation. Open up your Bible and read some stuff and pray and just sit. And that's rest and that's renewal. And that's how God created us. In the Old Testament, it was the Sabbath day that he commanded us to rest. Now, post the cross, we rest in the presence of Christ every day. And so as we do that, we make sure that we are spending time every day with God, you know? And so, so I believe that's a value that God um, values. The third value <clears throat> for us, he, 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 he values relational depth. He values rest. And I think he always values reflection. Because when you read, be still and know that I am God. When you read scripture like Psalm 72, 12, that says, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. This is the idea of, of, of really reflecting upon God. It's thinking about God. It's thinking about verses. It's not just reading them, but maybe it's one verse that we're thinking about. What does that mean? How does that apply to my life? And so as I reflect upon it, as I, as I, I, I think about it, now I'm, I'm beginning to evaluate who he is and what he's doing in my life. And I think it's out of those 
times of reflection and meditation that we learn the most, we're rejuvenated the most, refreshed the most internally. So, all right, so, so this is what God values. And so as we think about, as we, as we think about what, we, what we've got to do to make some changes, we admit the unhealthiness of our face. We commit to drawing closer to God. And so that means drawing closer to what he values. And then finally, number three is we evaluate what's really important. So we evaluate what's really important. End of the year, perfect time to evaluate, right? Take time this week to evaluate what's important to you. Some of you would say, God's important to me. I, you know, he's number one. And then my family and, and then, you know, UT football. And then, you know, whatever it is um, in, in, in your list. But you evaluate what's important to you. And once you begin to evaluate what's important to you, then, now, then you can do the homework. So here's your homework, like, like this week. Before the new year, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to go home and I want you to evaluate and reflect upon the defining moments in 2015. So that means the good, important, awesome things that happen, and then even the not so good things that happen in your life. What are those defining moments? What are those experiences that took place in 2015? You know, a relationship ended, a job ended. You got a job. You got a promotion. You started a small group. What are those things that happened in your life that you would look back and say, all right, this is, this is a moment. This is the defining moment and experience that was um, impactful. And so we think about those, whatever those events are, whatever those moments are, and then we begin to reflect upon them. Because here's a lie that sometimes we believe. We think that sometimes experience means that we've grown or experience means that we've matured. And so the older you are, the more mature you are, the older you are, the more things you've had to go through in life, the more, you know, uh, uh, mature you are. But, but that's never the case. It's only those experiences that we've reflected upon that we actually grow from. So an event happened that was good or bad. If you haven't had time, if you haven't taken the time to reflect upon that moment, to ask yourself, what did God teach me? What was God trying to teach me? Hey, here's a buddy. Let's go have coffee. Hey, here's some things that happened in my life this year. What do you think God is trying to teach me? What do you think God was trying to do? What do you think I should be learning in this? And then it's after those moments and and that time that we can say, oh, okay. So here are the things that I truly believe that God is teaching me and truly that I'm grasping. And it's it's asking those questions. What did I learn? It's, it's drawing other godly people into my life. And then I journal that and then I write it down or I type it into Evernote or whatever you do so that now you've got 2015 life lessons. You know, imagine 10 years from now, if you decide to walk with God today, if you decide to, to do things differently in your life, can you imagine the life lessons and the things that you will have written down as you are stopping, resting, and allowing God to connect with you. Because I truly believe that if we are still and we reflect, then God will connect. Again, Psalm 77, 12, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. You see, our future is secure. The last phrase of Psalm 23 is, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if that's the truth, if we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, shouldn't we be living for his house and not our house? As we close 2015, man, I encourage you to evaluate and to begin to do things differently this year with your schedule. Let's pray. Father God, 
we truly want to rally around the fact that it's through your word that we're nourished, that we have courage in our suffering, that we have hope in our future. And God, we want to rally our life around the things that you value. So Lord, help us to identify the chaos in our life and help us to pursue a deeper relationship with you. God, help us to be still and reflect on a regular basis so that we can connect with you. Lord, I pray blessing upon um, the people that are here today pursuing you. Pray that these words encourage them and bless them and allows life change to take place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.